help support your local businesses, whether they are your corner stores, coffee spots, or favorite shops. Local businesses have always been on your team, supporting you and your community. They remember your order and call you by name. Always giving back, making a difference, and going that extra mile. But right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support. So let's be there for them. The next time you go shopping, help your team score and choose to shop at local businesses. And while you are there, Look for the contactless symbol and tap to pay with a contactless visa to help support your community because where and how you shop matters. Visa everywhere you want to be. Official partner of the NFL. Welcome to the Seahawks Man-to-Man Podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. I'm here with my co-host, Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the tweet machine. Make sure you remind Chris to call it the tweet machine so he can finally get verified on the tweet machine. Chris, talk to him. What is up, everybody? It's your boy, Christopher Kidd. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at CKIDD206 and that's CKID206. You're lost, man. The blue check, man. I'm telling you, that it's the one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, got, we got a special guest uh, on the pod as we get ready for week four of the NFL season. We have the homie who covers the Miami Dolphins for the Athletic, Josh Tolentino. Josh, what up, bro? Hey, Chris, Mike. Doing well, man. We were just rapping right before we got on uh, live that, man, it is hot down here. <laughs> so, uh, you know, a lot of people are counting the Dolphins out and, you know, they, they – it's fair because, you know, they have obviously got Russ coming in, one of the most elite quarterbacks in the league. But, man, is Russ and the gang ready to uh, play in this 100-degree weather on Sunday? Uh, I mean, I, I imagine. So here's the thing. Most of these guys are in Seattle now, but all the brothers on the team is from the south. <laughs> like, they used to the heat. We got, like, a bunch of starters from, from South Florida. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty. Yeah, they, they'll, they'll be ready. They'll be ready. Well, I guess uh, we'll see. Hey, Josh, real quick. Yeah, are you verified I mean, like, on Twitter? Yeah, yeah, I've been on that, the the work, the company hooked me up, talking about the company, um, when I started on the Packers beat, I got uh, got that check, so we're good on that end. So, yeah, Chris, it's just you that's not verified on this episode, <laughs> just 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 throwing that out there, uh, Josh, before we, before we preview the actual on-field matchup uh, with the Seahawks and Dolphins, and we will, we'll get to all that, uh, I want to talk about what the Dolphins players actually did before uh, their first game, before the season really kicked off. They put out a, a video about social justice, uh, player, a player video with a bunch of guys featured, just kind of really announced, it was announcing that they'll stay inside for both national anthems, but it was really like a, a spoken word piece about race in America. And what was, what take us behind the scenes on that a little bit, like uh, whose idea was it? Uh, why did they want to do it, and kind of what was their reaction uh, in Miami to that? Yeah, they they officially termed it a poem, and the theme was "We'll just stay inside." They repeated that several times throughout the poem, and uh, I think if we re- rewind back to that Thursday night, the first game of the regular season, uh, the Chiefs, you know, they were they were going to play in uh, obviously Kansas City, and this was a couple hours before the game. 
uh, it was just released casually on social media. It wasn't official by the team or anything. Uh, but Jay Williams, uh, Rap Sheet, uh, Schefter, um, around the all around all the, the same time, uh, Jay Williams had it out there first. But uh, you know, they released this about two minute video. It was like 137 seconds, I believe, uh, and it was a video of both black and white players on the Dolphins, uh, including several captains, uh, basically just saying that they're demanding change, and until they see. Uh, change for, from the owners and, and also political change. They cite many different uh, things. Uh, you know, there was team involvement in terms of who wrote it. Uh, and they just really went back and forth uh, one line at a time, uh, switching between players that uh, until there's change, they're going to stay inside in terms of uh, regarding the national anthem. And, and since then, the first three weeks, they, they've done just that. Uh, they have stayed inside the locker room. Uh, for the national anthem, and, uh, and not just that, I think we got to remember, guys, that we're talking about the Dolphins. They're they're the only team in the NFL with a black head coach and a black general manager, and Chris Greer and Brian Flores. So, you know, there's just a few uh, black coaches in the NFL: Mike Tomlin, Anthony Lynn, uh, Flores. But uh, the Dolphins are the only team with a black head coach, general manager duo. So. Uh, it was a pretty loud statement considering, you know, the, the everything going on across the country and also in the NFL, uh, but with the Dolphins specifically, uh, considering, uh, you know, they've had uh, some issues, you know, some talking points, definitely about uh, social justice issues dating back to, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. You know, and my favorite line from the poem that they had, uh, was we need owners with influence and bigger pockets than ours to call up officials and flex political power. And I, I've, that's something that we've talked about here on this show, Chris and I have, about the, the, the need for owners who are white and powerful and rich to like get involved in the fight, right? It can't just be you know the black players you know being tasked with fixing racism. That's really not how this works. And you know calling out the owners, including their own Dolphins owner Stephen Ross, like how. How did a like what did you what was your reaction to that part of it, knowing the history of kind of Stephen Ross with having, you know, his rise um, initiative that's basically an anti racist organization, which, you know, Ross is also the same guy who I believe last year, you know, threw that that uh that benefit for, for Donald Trump. Yeah, and shortly after that, you know, he's not on the team anymore, but Kenny Stills, wide receiver uh, out in Houston now, but he was one of the the players who was very vocal about Ross's decision to hold that uh, rally, while also what you know what players saw as blind service to them, saying that he's with them and supports them, but at the same time, uh, you know he's holding these outside initiatives for uh, matters that you know straight up go against what the team or what several members of the team believe. So uh, when the poem came out, uh, again, it was not released on the Dolphins' official. Uh, Twitter or any of their official sites, but it was dang near put together by uh, you know someone from the Dolphins. It was a very professional uh, video in the way it was set up, and uh, one of the the lingering questions I had that night was was Stephen Ross? Did he know about this? Or like you know how much involvement did he have in this video? Obviously, he wasn't in the video, but um, you know anytime it involves many of your players, including six of eight captains and the head coach, uh, Flores, you know, was actually the person that concluded the video at the end. 
you know, by saying we'll just stay inside. Uh, so I was always wondering that that same night it came out, I was like, did, did Ross know about this? I mean, like, this is a very powerful statement. And at that time, again, this was hours before NFL kick, before the NFL season kicked off. Uh, there was no official word on what teams were going to do. You know, there was chatter amongst uh, leading up to the first weekend of games, uh, you know, reporters asking, do we, do you guys have plans? And there was really no team or uh, no, nobody, I, uh, you know, no star in the league that said, I'm going to kneel or, uh, you know, I'm going to raise my fist or I'm going to stand or we'll stay inside. So the Dolphins were the very first uh, team, the kind of like the domino to fall. Uh, I think a lot of other teams followed suit. Uh, so it, it was a very loud statement at the beginning of the year. And um, so, but, but Ross did, you know, Flo did tell us the next day that Ross uh, was aware and, and obviously that, uh, you know, he, you know, I'm not sure they can, they can say this, but Flores said that Ross did support the video. Uh, to what extent, I, th- I don't think we'll ever know, but um, for him to know, I think, is a, a big step and, and part of that process of getting that video out. If you could, Josh, could you illustrate perhaps the relationship between the players, Flo, and their owner, or is there any relationship at all with everything that's going on? Yeah, I mean, I think with, really with all teams, and, and, uh, and speaking with the players after the video came out, uh, they they kind of specifically said they were like you know this isn't directed directly at their own owner with ross it was more so you know going back to the line that uh mike pointed out that they want a general just the general ownership i mean really they're talking about there's just a they're trying to issue it to to everyone in the league everyone that has power it wasn't just the one specific person and not just that uh, you know, they, they say flex the political power. Obviously, they're referring to, to much higher uh, government officials than uh, just NFL owners. So um, one thing I, you know, one more thing I will point out, guys, is that, and I think, you know, we both know this uh, with, uh, you know, Pete Carroll. Uh, the NFL coaches, they're required to speak. I think, is it three or four times a week, Mike? I think it's four, right? Yeah, we get Pete on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then after games. So, yeah, four out of the seven days of the week. Yeah, so so they're required to speak four times a week, like by NFL, uh, PA, and NFL standards. So up until that day, so that Thursday, Flo had actually spoke for the fourth time that week. So he didn't need to speak to us on Friday. We had no availability scheduled uh, with Flores. We had a couple players scheduled, but... Uh, in terms of uh, talking to Coach again, we were kind of in this predicament Thursday night that, oh, my gosh, they just dropped like, this video. It was huge news. And, and shoot, we, we can't ask the coach anything about it because he's already fulfilled his requirements to talk. You know, like we're like, man, we're not going to be able to talk to him until after the game on Sunday. Well, Monday morning comes around and we get a, uh, an email from, from the Dolphins PR staff. Uh, and, you know, you got to applaud Flo for, for doing this, that, uh, he held an emergency type availability, very last second, uh, really just to explain the the meaning of the video. And uh, it goes beyond that too. Uh, one more one more point to to this was that you know PR PR the their job is to control the room, control the questions, and you know monitor the flow of uh, the press conference, the conversation. 
so but we're we're like a few minutes in maybe six minutes in and then uh you know the head pr guy here in miami uh after after uh you know an answer he's like okay one more in terms of one more question for flow uh right after uh, matt taylor said that and you know he's just doing his job to you know control the the length of the press conference uh flores was like he he basically snapped right back he was like you know what matt he was like, we can keep going. Uh, I don't mind talking about this. We can go for however long. And we actually essentially doubled the time of the press conference. So you can tell, like, uh, this was a significant uh, issue to him and that he had no uh, issue at all answering, you know, all the many questions that we had about the video and just their stance on uh, social justice around the league. So uh, I thought they handled it pretty well. You know, one more on, on Ross, you know, because for, for, all, for all intents and purposes, I consider Ross to be a hypocrite, right? Like, you know, I don't think you can align yourself um, with the president and align yourself with anti-racism. I think those are just like, there's it, a flaw there. Um, but that's that's my opinion. Maybe uh, What is yours? And then what have you gathered from maybe players who may feel that? Obviously, Kenny Stills felt that way. Did anyone agree with him that's still on the team? Kind of what was what's the view there? Yeah, I think a lot of players are put in this nervous situation of uh, are we going to, you know, specific to last year with Kenny Spills, that Kenny Spills was really one of the only uh, players on the team to put his name out there and say that, you know, essentially this is BS and call uh, Ross out on it. Uh, This year, I think the players are realizing that collectively they have a strong voice, and I think we see that with the video. Uh, 18 players, uh, both black and white, you know, it wasn't just, uh, black players, but also uh, several white teammates. Uh, Mike Kosicki was in there. Uh, Patrick Laird, the running back. Uh, Ted Karras, he's a captain, uh, starting center. Um, that they were going to be united in this issue and uh, that they realized that together um, they're able to make this statement rather than you know an individual like uh, Kenny Stills last year. So I thought it was well put out and that they're uh, you know coming to realize that uh, together and collectively, they have a voice, uh, even if it goes against what their owner might believe. And then also to, to that point, I think Ross has stepped back a little bit, definitely, in terms of uh, his public uh, stance on political issues. And, you know, I think he revealed, you know, true colors last year in, in regards to what he was supporting. But uh, at the same time since then, it's, he's been much uh, quieter in that regard and uh, realizes that. Uh, whatever he does is going to have an impact on how the players that lay it all, all out on the field every Sunday for him, uh, how they're going to feel about it. So uh, I think both sides are, are realizing the effect of, you know, what they put out there. You know, and with Brian Flores is also like, you know, him playing the Jay-Z stuff uh, to push Kenny Stills, whatever whatever that means. And then obviously Kenny gets gets traded. Kind of how was uh, – and then – but then also this offseason, uh, Brian was one of the coaches to put out uh, – maybe the first coach to put out uh, a statement on race in America. And uh, from what I recall, it was a fairly fairly powerful message, especially coming from one of the few black coaches, as you mentioned. Uh, how was how he kind of viewed in all this? I would imagine it's in a really uh, positive uh, light from the players, especially since he participated and closed the video they had. But kind of what's you're closer to it. What's your uh, been your read on that? Yeah, when we saw the, the video come out again, you know, we'll just uh, rap about it one more time. Uh, you know, we're seeing all these different players uh, rotate in and say each line of the poem. And then like what you just said, Mike, at the very end, Flo 
uh, was the one that closed it. And that was kind of like the exclamation point to everything that, you know, all these the players as a collective group have this stance. But guess what? We're going to close it with our head coach, who is black, uh, by saying this statement that we're going to stay inside. So uh, I think a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of uh, these young uh, guys on the team, uh, in terms of on field, they're they're realizing Flo, uh, you know, is a very big uh, discipliner. Like in terms of uh, what he wants, he's a very loud, authoritative. Uh, and you you can imagine coming from New England, uh, that type of coaching style under Bill Belichick. Um, but at the same point, uh, they, I think they were also realizing that uh, he's aware of everything going on, and not just that. He's only a couple years older than the oldest guy on the team. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Flo is only, uh, I believe, 39. So uh, he's able to, to gel with them in terms of age and, you know, uh, similar interests and, and issues going on around the world. So I really do think that he's gaining the respect of the room through each step that they go through. Now, speaking of the oldest guy, uh, you know, on the team, you know, Chris and I are both um, Wazoo grads. So I don't, I don't know if Chris, are you a Minshew fan? Are you a fan of Minshew? Yes. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big Minshew uh, Minshew guys, so I I I, I, I took offense when Fitzpatrick comes like, oh, hey, beards over mustaches, what's going on here? Uh, and then went out and kind of played way better than Gardner. Uh, we don't want to get into that though. Uh, what's up with my man Fitz, man? Why he dis? Why he dissing my man Minshew and his mustache? Man, the thing with Fitz is it's all playful. I think we all uh, have come to realize about them, and, and my, you know, my short time working with him, uh, really everything you hear from the scouts and coaches and old teammates, dude, he's worked with in the 16 years he's been in the league is that uh, he treats everybody the same. And, and I think uh, <laughs> some, some of us maybe like, you know, blew that up, the, the beard versus the mustache and, and rightfully so. I mean, it, it was the most iconic, uh, you know, matchup. Uh, we, we think about the three uh, primetime games this past week, boys. And you look at, uh, I mean, those were elite quarterback matches. Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers Sunday night, and then Monday night, Lamar and Patrick Mahomes. But, hey, it started off on Thursday night with, you know, Fitz and Minshew, the beard versus the mustache. Uh, obviously, the, the Dolphins' defense came to play. I thought, I thought it was their most uh, elite overall performance uh, this season, and which is why I think Minshew uh, struggled. You know, he's also missing a couple of his top receivers. But, um Really, Fitz kind of came out and showed us what we hadn't seen all season was rhythm and flow. And uh, I mean, those first few drives of the game, it, it kind of showed that uh, this is what the offense is capable of. You know, what's what's the plan there in, in Miami? I feel like I'm not the only one, but maybe you guys have a better understanding of it. I'm very confused as to why Tua... Uh, their their top draft pick is not the guy if healthy. I just figure I I'm kind of under the impression when teams draft a, a kid in the first round, uh, unless you got like a clear Mahomes, Alex Smith kind of even Flacco to Lamar. Like I understood why those guys kind of were thought to have a redshirt year. Um, but I mean, if the alternative, if if the guy ahead of him is Fitzmagic, I don't understand the plan. So what 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 was what's kind of Flores laid out for you guys this year? Is it just a redshirt year uh, for Tua? Before Josh answers that question, we got to take a timeout to pay some quick bills. And this is a shout out to Pepsi. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or some overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1%, yes, of 1%, mm -hmm, of 1% of people will ever play professional football. Instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, and that league consists of people watching football. This football season will be different. 
and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch. Recently, if you've been watching, you've noticed that the Seahawks defense has been getting pretty much cooked on the back end. Corners can't seem to stay in front of anybody. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day, even if it means watching the Seahawks give up over 400 yards per game. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Make sure you go to madeforfootballwatching.com to check out the latest football watching content from Pepsi. Now back to the show. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I'm glad you uh, alluded to or brought up that the Alex Smith Patrick Mahomes uh, deal. You know, early on in Patrick's career, actually, I was interning at the Kansas City Star that that season, uh, so was able to cover a lot of that. Uh, you know, Patrick's early first days uh, in Kansas City, and you know, I'm able to relate that to Tua now uh, behind Fitz, and uh, it's exactly that. And while uh, Fitzpatrick, he might not be you know, as talented or, you know, he's definitely in the tail end of his career right now uh, at his age 37 season, uh, you know, year 16 in the league. Uh, but you look back to last year uh, and, you know, I think we all know that Dolphins are a horrific start. Um, I mean, in those games, they were just getting blown out. It took them two months to record their first win of the season. Uh, but after all of that, after, you know, everyone was seeing that, man, this could get ugly, historically ugly, in the way that they were being blown out in those first eight games. Uh, well, at the end of the season, the Fitz, he was really the leader of the team, and he was like, you know what, we're going to go out and continue to play, and uh, he led them to a, a winning record in the you know that final half of the season. So um, I think when the team saw that and coaches saw that, uh, they really rallied behind Fitz and and also Flo. Obviously, he's the, the, the head coach. It was his rookie season uh, with the Dolphins, but uh, more so behind Fitzpatrick that, you know, this guy's leaving it all out on the field uh, every down. Why can't we do the same? So um, going into the offseason, they knew that they, they, they really wanted to, um, you know, they obviously had many different issues and, and needs, uh, areas to address, but quarterback was one of them. Uh, selecting Tua Tagovailoa with that fifth overall pick. Uh, and really, this, they realize this is the perfect situation. They call it a perfect situation that Fitzpatrick knows he's the placeholder. It was actually the very first thing he told us uh, at the beginning of training camp. He knows why he's here still, and he knows why they selected Tua. Tua is the future. They want this, uh, you know, he wears number one, jersey number one. They want him to be uh, the future face of the franchise. 
but for now, it's still Fitzmagic time, and uh, two is going to be continue to, to groom under him. Um, and, you know, if I could, there's just a couple more ways to, to look at it. Uh, Tua had a really gruesome hip injury that ended his final season at Alabama last year. I think we all uh, remember and saw that, that tackle, um, you know, all that body weight falling on him, uh, breaking his hip and, you know, breaking that side of his body. Um, so really around uh, approaching the draft, anyone who was in those top six, seven picks, uh, all of those teams who were could have potentially grabbed Tua with those top Again, six, seven, eight picks uh, in the draft. I think all those teams were aware of that, and the biggest question was, how mobile is he? I mean, his mobility is what makes him such a, a good quarterback. You know, he's obviously got a great uh, left arm and the, the power uh, in that arm, but uh, his mobility is what helps him uh, be as elite as he is, kind of a, a Russell Wilson, and he actually looks up to Russell, he, he told us, so... Um, you know, everyone was wondering about his health, and I think throughout training camp and practice, he checked all those boxes. And uh, really, the most ultimate sign to say that uh, we could go to two at any point this season. You know, we're going to wait and be patient, but uh, we're ready. Was that when the team decided to cut Josh Rosen right before cut day? So, because uh, two was the clear number three, uh, I think, behind uh, Fitz and Rosen, and then when the uh, when the team said, hey, Josh, we're, we're, we're ready to part ways and have Tua is the clear number one backup to Fitz, that kind of checked everyone's box to be like, okay, if Fitz is hurt on a drive, we're, we're actually ready to go to Tua. So I really don't think we'll see Tua until later in the season, uh, kind of like with Patrick Mahomes and Alex Smith. But uh, who knows? We'll see. I think uh, throughout the past two games, uh, Fitz has definitely proved that uh, he can still be competitive, and not just competitive, that he can keep his teams within games because really they're the, the all three games this season, they obviously won against Jacksonville, but the first two games they could have won. So um, Fitz is showing that uh, you know he's ready to be competitive and that he's going to groom Tua into this, uh, hopefully the what the team sees as the future face of the franchise. So how how healthy is Tua? Like, is he ready to go? How do you look? By day, Tua really checked each box. You mean? I mean, you look at... Uh, what you need to see out of him in terms of coming off a pretty serious hip injury, uh, you want to see a presence in the pocket, uh, you know, showing awareness of where he's at uh, when pressure is coming. You want to see him to be able to to use his feet to move around, not necessarily to move out of the pocket, but, you know, just to move out of the way of of pressures and, you know, sack situations and uh, not just that, but to, to, you know, see what he can do with the ball in those scenarios. Uh, he checked that box. The other one is the situation where you do have to move away out of the pocket and scramble. I think that was really the the biggest question mark is, is he mobile? Is Can, can he uh, get out of the pocket? Can he run around, which made him so dangerous at Alabama? Um, and I remember, I think it was the second or third day of camp specifically, uh, there was a situation where, uh, you know, he faced the pass rush and he had to scramble to his left. Uh, you know, that's his natural side. Uh, being a left-handed quarterback, and he scrambled, and not just that, he picked up a few yards, and uh, there was this weird scenario where uh, right when he was uh, about to hit uh, out of bounds, uh, there was a defender uh, coming in on him, and obviously they don't tackle to the ground uh, during training camp. At this point of training camp, they weren't even uh, tackling uh, at all. So, uh, But Tua, you could tell he was a little bit nervous when he uh, 
was approaching the sideline, he kind of did this awkward slide type thing. And when he hit the ground, uh, I think all of us kind of took a, ga- a big gasp, a uh, deep breath, and, you know, was wondering if he was okay. You know, he popped right back up and showed that uh, he's ready to go and that he's as agile as he was uh, back in Alabama. So, um, to is moving around freely. And I think, again, the biggest sign was that when they cut Josh Rosen, they, they, that was really the, the biggest sign that uh, we're ready to move on with Tua as our number one backup if he needs to, if there's a situation where he needs to replace Fitz mid game. Well, speaking of Fitz, I want to look at Fitzpatrick versus Fitzmagic because Fitzpatrick, he can go out and, like, week one, he'll throw three interceptions and no touchdowns. And then you have Fitzmagic who against the Buffalo Bills threw for 300 yards and two touchdowns. What can we expect from this Miami offense coming up against this Seahawk defense, you thinking? Yeah, I, I really think if the Dolphins have a shot, I, I still don't think their secondary is up for the challenge of, of guarding uh, Tyler Lockett, the various weapons that the Seahawks have, and most especially Russell Wilson back there. Um, I really think Russ is going to cook uh, on Sunday, I mean, as he usually does. Uh, I think the fighting chance that the Dolphins do have is that uh, if this magic shows up to the field, I think we saw it last Thursday in Jacksonville on national uh, TV that uh, Fitz magic came to play. It was the Fitz magic show in Jacksonville. He was really uh, just classic Fitz magic. He was perfect. Uh, really the entire first half, he completed his first 12 consecutive throws. Uh, he set a new uh, QB rating. I think it was around 140. It set a new franchise record. Uh, I mean, that was vintage Fitzmagic. Even in, when he wasn't throwing the ball, he was scrambling around, diving head first, and uh, what he's become accustomed of doing, of laying it all out on the field for his team. So I think if it comes down to a uh, offensive, uh, you know, just gunslinging type game, I think that's uh, how the Dolphins are going to uh, be competitive in this, is that Fitz uh, needs to show up and that his weapons with Devontae Parker, Preston Williams, Mike Gesicki, uh, that uh, they're going to have to show up to, to play on Sunday if they want to have a chance to, to compete against Russ. Speaking of Devontae Parker, you just brought him up. He recently signed a four-year extension through the 2023 season. That's up to forty million with eight million signing bonus and more than twenty million guaranteed for this receiver. And leadership wise, are you noticing that he's taking that leadership role since he wants to stay in Miami and develop with whether it be Tua or whoever whoever the quarterback may be? What are you seeing with Devontae Parker? Yeah, I think obviously Devontae, after he had his breakout season last year, uh he got that bag. And not just that, uh if we talk about his leadership skills uh, in general here, he's got an issue with soft tissue type injuries. If you just look at his uh, career, he's got uh, some history there with any soft tissue um, injuries. And in, in week one against the Patriots, he had a hamstring issue pop up in the first half. And, you know, he actually missed the entire second half. So um, I think all Dolphins fans were kind of, you know, they were kind of worried, kind of scared, you know, especially since he didn't come back in that, uh, second half of, well, you know what? Devontae Parker came came back in week two and obviously week three also. And um, while he might not be 100%, I think anyone who, who follows 
Devontae Parker and knows his movement or even just watching his tapes from uh, previous years, most especially last year, uh, he's not as explosive as, as he can be, I think, as we all know his potential is. Uh, but he is out there. He's making plays. And not just that, uh, this is a very unproven wide receiver room. Uh, obviously, you know, we talked about Preston Williams. He's in his second year. Um, you know, he's still a very young player. Outside of uh, him and Devontae, there aren't really many proven receivers on this team. A lot of talented guys that have, you know, special traits with speed and, and talent. But uh, when it comes to uh, uh, consistent career numbers, there there is not a lot of consistency across the board. Uh, the Dolphins, they only had two opt-outs, but both of them were receivers, Alan Hearns and Albert Wilson, uh, two veteran guys. So um, those were pieces that they needed to fill uh, this season. I think they're they're still answering those questions. You know, there have been guys like Isaiah Ford uh, stepping up, but uh, when it comes to top consistent options that Fitz knows he can trust that he's going to throw the ball up and that these receivers will make a play on the ball, uh, I think you you got to circle Devontae Parker and Mike Gesicki as his top two uh, guys. That's a little worrisome because tight ends have not fared well with the Seahawks over the past few seasons. But I do want to look at a local kid, and that is Miles Gaskin, who hails from Limwood. Shout out to Miles. He went to O'Day. And Mike and I, of course, went to WSU, so we're not going to hold it against him that he ended up going to UW. But how did he get this starting role as a running back? I mean, seventh-round pick. All just stacked against him, and now he is—he's being productive with this Miami offense. Yeah, yeah. Quick shout out to Linwood, uh, Blake Snell. He actually just threw a one hitter as the game one starter for the Rays. Um, I got out to Linwood and was able to explore uh, that whole area in, in Seattle early in the year. It was a very beautiful uh, area. But back to Miles, man. Uh, really, last year you look at what the Dolphins did. They were the worst rushing team in the NFL, and it was really ugly on a consistent basis. Uh, the offensive line played a, played a big part in that, but but their running backs from last year, and Miles is included in that. It was his rookie season, uh, and you know you can't blame him much because he didn't get a lot of opportunities. But when he was out there, uh, it was a totally different Miles Gaskin than than what we saw from uh, his Washington days. Uh, so, like heading into the offseason, this is what the Dolphins did. They revamped the entire offensive line. They've only got one returning starter. Uh, they've got two rookies on the line, including Austin Jackson from USC, a uh, Pac-12 guy. Uh, so they, they really revamped the entire offensive line. But not just that. They, they went into uh, free agency and also via trade. And they added two veteran running backs. I think a lot of NFL fans, especially NFC West fans, will know uh, these names. Uh, Jordan Howard from, you know, previously with the Bears and the Eagles and Matt Burita uh, from San Francisco. I mean, those are two proven guys. And, and, you know, while they haven't put up the same numbers last year and, you know, most recently, I mean, those are still two proven guys that that have a a lot of NFL experience between both of them and they know how to to make plays and get things done. So really throughout camp, uh, you know, we're we're seeing Miles uh, show out in camp and have a pretty good camp, but but really the talk of camp is uh, who's going to get more carries, Matt Breida or Jordan Howard. And in a lot of people's uh, answer sheets, Miles Gaskin is not on that list. The, the, the concentration was on the two big names, the two veteran guys, and not just veterans, two more expensive players than Matt Breida and Jordan Howard. 
who is going to get more carries? Well, week one rolls around, and the answer is actually Miles Gaskin in his second year. Uh, and you really can't blame the coaching staff, Chan Gailey and Brian Flores, for going to Gaskin because, I mean, he has been the most explosive out of those three, and I think we're really seeing out of Miles what UW fans and what Pac-12 fans saw uh, in his college days as a Husky. Man, he's explosive, and not just that. Uh, really, whenever he touches the ball, it feels like he's able to make that first tackler, that first defender miss. Uh, and not just miss, you know, he's able to pick up those yards, those extra one, two yards, because really in, in the NFL, uh, it's all about positive yards, positive production. Uh, in Miles' case, it's about positive yards, plural, of getting those extra yards for, for the team to move the chains. And, and Miles Gaskin has really done a great job of not just running the ball, but also catching it some uh, here these first few games. And I really don't see that changing at all. Uh, Jordan Howard's been relegated to this short yardage goal line type role. Uh, Matt Breida, they, they got to find a way to implement him more uh, because he is one of the quickest players in the league, one of the fastest players in the league. But I don't see either of them uh, overtaking Miles Gaskin in this, in this running back uh, one role, RB one role habit. Uh, because Miles has really taken off with it, and he's shown that uh, that work ethic that he put in in the offseason out in Linwood and also uh, in training camp, that he's one of the most improved players on this team. Now, this may depend on whether Byron Jones plays this week, but, Josh, is there any way that this defense does not get cooked by Russell Wilson on Sunday? Yeah, Mike, I think that's the million-dollar question heading into this weekend is that following – the Dolphins' most complete performance on all three levels of the defense against Jacksonville. How do they follow up against one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL? Uh, Jacksonville and Seattle, they are not the same. You know, I, I know you guys, Coogs guys and Gardner Minshew, uh, but, but Russell Wilson's just on a whole other uh, level and in, in compared to, you know, what he's able to do with the football, how he reads the field. And um, the Dolphins' secondary, I really don't think they've, proven much uh, this season and uh, you look back to week two uh, against Josh Allen who's really coming into his own here in his third NFL season I think he's elevating his gameplay into that next tier of quarterbacks in the league man Josh Allen we talk about Russ cooking Josh Allen cooked this Dolphins secondary 400 plus passing yards it was a career high uh, 500 total yards of offense I think we're going to see a similar stat line for Russell Wilson this Sunday. Um, I really don't think that the the Dolphins secondary, and, and you know maybe they prove me and many others wrong, uh, but I just don't think, especially if Byron Jones is out, and I don't think Xavier Howard is completely a hundred percent healthy. Uh, their other top corner, uh, you know, who's going to guard Tyler Lockett? They've got a rookie Noah Igbenogany. Who's, who's shown some flashes, but he was uh, definitely cooked by Stephon Diggs in week two. Um, I just don't think that uh, when it comes to, to being able to completely challenge and defend uh, Seattle's weapons and rust that uh, the secondary can win that matchup. All right. Are you a gambling man there, Josh? You know what? I'm, I, I haven't been a gambling man uh, recently, and I, I, you know, only friendly bet. So, but, but let's, let's play here. Well, in fact, we do have a friendly bet here. We always do a over and under. And last week we had John who covered the Dallas Cowboys. He took the over 
in regards to Michael Gallup, Amari Cooper, and CeeDee Lamb combining for over 250.5 yards. And, of course, they went for 289 yards. Week one, it was Torrey McElhaney with The Athletic as well, who writes for the Atlanta, writes for the Falcons in that regard. And she went with the under for Julio and Calvin at 200.5 yards. So mine for you this week is Ryan Fitzpatrick over under 360 and a half yards over under you know Chris, i think i'm gonna go with the over i think you look at uh fitzpatrick's fitzmagic's trajectory over the past two weeks uh he's really been trending in the right direction uh obviously in in jacksonville they, they ran the ball a lot in the second half and really just chewed up the clock um but i mean if he were to keep throwing the ball I mean, he was really just magical in that first half, and that was just a continuation of what he did in week two. Uh, we talk about Josh Allen lighting up the, the Dolphins secondary. Uh, you know, Fitzmagic wasn't that far behind him. He threw for 300-plus uh, against the Bills. A pretty good defense, I would say, um, in terms of what they present. And I also, you know, we talk about Seahawks, the Seahawks injuries and um, where they're at health-wise coming into this game. I think any fighting chance that Miami wants to have is, is going to be behind Fitz and and really kind of just trying to outduel uh, Russell Wilson, which is going to be a pretty tall task. But uh, I think it will be uh, entertaining uh, throughout the game, and I think it might come to the final possession or two that uh, I'm, I'm taking the Seahawks by a slim margin. But I do think there's going to be a lot of points put up on the board. Well, speaking of that, let's get your game prediction, man. Who is going to win this game? And don't worry about the score. It doesn't have to be perfect. Right now, the athletic staff writer, they're 2-0 because they picked the right team to win. So what you got, Josh? Who do you think is going to win this game and throw a score in there for us? You know, I think I'm going to put the Seahawks at some somewhere around 30-plus points, you know, depending on field goals and such. Um, let's go Seahawks 34, Dolphins 31, Dolphins 27. But, but I'm going to put the Seahawks at 34 because, uh, you know, watching some film from Tyler Lockett this past week, I think that, uh, I just really don't think that the Dolphins secondary is going to be able to contain him. And, and you know, as we go back to Russ, uh, he's going to be one of the most elite uh, challenges they face all year. So uh, I'm going with Seahawks by a, a slim margin. I think the line is six and a half. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to keep it on that. I think the Dolphins will keep it a touchdown uh, within a touchdown and that fits keeps it competitive until very late in the game. But uh, Russell Wilson think is going to come into Miami and come away with uh, another big dub. Appreciate you, Josh, for coming to preview the matchup. And let everybody know where they can follow you on your verified uh, Twitter account. Yeah, it's, it's the same as IG, the at JCT Sports. So it's just my initials, JCT uh, Sports. And hopefully we can get Chris on there, too, with, with the check. Yeah, that's part of our campaign over here to get Chris his own blue check. Uh, we'll work on it. We'll work on it. It's uh, It's on the way. Uh, but thank you guys for tuning in to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast. Again, shout out to Josh. We will catch you guys this Sunday after Fitz Magic goes up against Let Russ Cook. We're out. Time to your-